So something I ask people all the time, and it seems silly when you're talking to somebody that's 40 or 50, but I, I still ask the question, and I say, what do you want to do when you grow up? What are you passionate about? What motivates you? What gets you out of bed? So when we talked last week about seeing yourself how others see you, that's important because we want to not only see ourselves how others see us, we want to see ourselves how Christ sees us and that how we're worthy and how that we have value and that we are loved and we need to believe that about ourselves. But I think we also need to figure out and know ourselves. Who are we in Christ? What is it that, that motivates us? What makes us happy? What, what gives us that spark in life and about life? And I think it's important, not only as people are recovering from addictions, but as believers, that we figure out what we're passionate about. Because if we don't figure out what we're passionate about, so often we just very slowly, it says in the book of Hebrews, it says, be careful lest you drift. So I don't know how many people have been in the ocean, but if, you ever, if you're ever at a Silomar and you go out into the ocean and you're just messing around and you're swimming and you know where your beach towel is and you know where your family is or your wife, but if you're in the ocean and you're swimming, there's going to come a point where you're going to stop and you're going to look at the beach to where your towel is and you're going to realize it's not there anymore. And you're going you're gonna to panic for a moment, and you're going to scan the beach, like, where, where's my stuff? You know? Like that old movie, Hey Dude, Where's My Car, right? Because in the ocean, there's an undertow. The waves are coming in and out, but there's a current under the waves that are moving down parallel to the beach. And because you're not paying attention and you're having fun, you don't notice that that undercurrent has started to move you from your original position, from where you want to be, where your family is, where your safety is. And before you know it, you're way down. That's what addiction does to us. That's what that old life does to us. If we're not careful, we're just going about our business, having fun, doing whatever we want to do. And the next thing we know, we're, we're in trouble. We're not anywhere that we wanted to be. We're not anywhere that we had hoped to be. But somehow or another, without even thinking about it, we ended up somewhere else, somewhere we didn't necessarily want to be. And I believe that knowing who we are in Christ and, and seeing ourselves how Christ sees us, I think those things give us value as a believer, and it should also motivate us to find our place. What is, where, where is my place in society, and what am I going to do? You know, I think we all, I mean, we could go around the room probably the entire night and ask everybody, well, what did you want to do when you grow up? And we're going to hear, you know, maybe policeman, fireman, you know, hairdresser, whatever. I mean, we're going to hear a pharmacist. You know, I wanted to be a pharmacist for a while because <laughs> but that was, I went into the recovery center. I'm like, well, I'm not going to go back to being a paramedic because I got fired. So I know I'll go back to, I'll go to pharmacy school. Well, that was not, that, that didn't fly, you know, didn't fly at home at all, so. But what, 
what can we take with what we do and what we know and what we're passionate about, and how can we figure out who we are in Christ and what, because we got to find that thing that motivates us, and that's, you know, yes, faith, family, but, I mean, what, what drives you? You know, what are your passions? And for some of us, we don't even know what those are. Because we'll come out of an addiction and we'll know nothing about ourselves because we've only known ourselves and our addiction and we're like, well, what, what do I like? You know, for me, because I always let everybody make my decisions, uh, something that happened to me when I was younger kind of, it kind of opened my eyes. It didn't change my trajectory, unfortunately, but um, my dad and I, my dad and I, we always went to Burger King, you know. I liked McDonald's. Well, why are we going to Burger King? Because you like Burger King. Well, no, I don't like Burger King. You know, you like Burger King. And one day we, I, he always ordered for me. And one day we, and we have been going for years. One day we went up and I ordered a Whopper with cheese. And he said, why did you order a Whopper with cheese? And I said, because I want a Whopper. He said, you don't like a Whopper with cheese. You like your Whopper with no pickles, no ketchup. No, I don't. Well, yeah, you do, because that's why I've been ordering it for years. You know what I mean? So I, I, I wasn't even thinking for myself, you know? So it's like, well, what do I like? You know, I remember when I was at the recovery center, they give you this list of, like, 50 things to do, like send a telegram, fly a kite, order something on the menu that you would never order. And I remember Michelle and I went to the fishwife on the Silomar, and I'm like, every time we'd been there before, a seafood quesadilla sounded disgusting. You know, I don't want, like, shrimp in my cheese, and, you know, and so we went one time, and I'm like, Michelle's like, why, why did you order that? And I'm like, yeah, because they said to try it. So whenever I go there, that's, I look for that on the menu, because I enjoyed it so much. You know what I mean? It's like getting out of that place that you were and discovering who you are. You know, like this, this kid who sees himself as a troublemaker and somebody saw in him, no, you're, no, you're, not, you're, you're not a troublemaker. You know, you're, you're, there's a drummer in there. Well, I want you to know each and every one of you, there is something in you that you, with the help of Christ, help of your friends, help of people around you, can coax out and figure out what is it you want to do? Like, what, what is going to make you happy? Yeah, following Christ and having good friends and, and being faithful, that's, that's all part of the bigger package. But what, what makes you happy? You know, what is it you've always wanted to do because you can do it? You know? You can. You, you can do it. And, and as we go through, and like I said, and as we read the scripture, everything points to this. It really does. So let's go ahead and Pick up in verse 17. Um, it says, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. And I think in our addiction, that's what we did. Because we were in slavery to addiction, and it was kind of our, it was kind of our default. You know what I mean? If you make a little bit of progress and you're not doing so good, you don't like the job you're in, whatever, what was your default? Your default was to always fall back, always kind of fall back to where you were. And I love the verse out of um, Galatians 5.1. It says, for freedom's sake, Christ has set you free, set us free. It says, so therefore stand firm and do not submit 
again to the yoke of slavery or bondage. You know, that yoke that Steve talked about, they're talking about a, a, a yoke is what an oxen wears. It's that big thing around their neck. It's what they pull and work with, right? And it's heavy, and it's cumbersome, and it's burdensome, and it's, it's not fun to have around your neck. The ox certainly doesn't like having the yoke around its neck, but it submits to its master. It puts the yoke around its neck, and it works. But what the scripture is saying if you are, if you are, come, come all those who are, are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You know, we all remember that song, Beast of Burden, the Rolling Stones, right? But it's like, it's finding out that we don't have to, because, because if you're at the point you're at today and you're here tonight and you're sober and you have any length of sobriety, you would have to submit yourself back to that lifestyle because you're not going to walk out the front door and trip and fall down and have a needle stuck in your arm, right? You don't. You don't, you don't just trip and have a needle end in your arm. You know, if you really think about it, you gotta, you got to plan it. you got to wait till there's going to be nobody around, and then you got to, you know, it's been a while, so i gotta, I got to find a place to get the... I got to get some syringes and I got to get some cotton and I got to get all the schmutz that I need and I'm trying to be safe and then I got to try to find a connection that nobody knows and I got to get money that can't be traced and that my wife's not going to find out about and then I got to have this clandestine meeting and I got to meet somebody and then I got to go home and I got to do the whole ritual and I got to do it. That took some work, right? It took some serious not only did it take some serious time, but it took some serious work. But when you do that, you're submitting yourself. It's like laying your head on, on the block for the, for the guillotine. You're submitting. You're saying, okay, I'm ready for this thing that's going to eventually kill me. But the problem with addiction, it doesn't kill you quick. It doesn't kill the people. Or it doesn't cause the people around you to lose hope quick. It's a slow draining, burdensome, cumbersome death that drags on and lingers forever. It says, so don't, don't any longer submit to that. But the beauty is we have that choice. Because when we do submit to that, it wasn't an accident, right? An accident, you know, if you're driving and somebody pulls that in front of you and you hit them, that's an accident. A needle in your arm is not an accident. Waking up and finding beer in your refrigerator is not an accident. It didn't, it didn't put itself in there. The refrigerator didn't come with it, right? Oh, I just bought a new refrigerator, and oh, it, oh, it must have came with a refrigerator, right? No, it didn't come with a refrigerator. You actually had to go buy it, and you had to do the whole, the whole gig. So Scripture is clear in so many places. You've been set free. Don't submit yourself to that lifestyle anymore, you know? And really, if you know who you are in Christ and you're doing something that you love, something that you enjoy, something that's fulfilling, you are so much less likely to do that than you are if you find yourself with all this idle time, all this time alone. There's nothing to do because I'm not, I'm not around my group of believers. I've kind of separated myself. I'm kind of 
spending time by myself, discovering myself. Well, that's a whole heap of trouble, you know? If you're, if you're kind of like out by yourself doing the yourself thing, what happens, you know? What happens if you start working two blocks from Chinatown, right? What happens? You, you, you know, if you haven't really put the work into it, even if you have, that every day, just like that thought, like, oh, I could, I could, I could, I could, and then pretty soon I am, I am, I am, and then it's like, oh, I'm, you know, it's like, now how do I get out of that, how do I get out of that again? I mean, I mean, coming to a meeting and sitting here with a bunch of believers and singing is so much more pleasant than hanging around a trap house. Everybody wanting to borrow money, and everybody talking about uh, when they're going to quit, and what they've lost out on, and what they missed out on, and how much money they've spent, and how sorry they are, and how much damage they, and on someday I'm going to get my kids back, and it's just that same old, you know, same old thing. It's that, it's that trap, but we, we, but knowing ourselves and having value, knowing the value that Christ has helps us to maybe motivate us enough to get us to do something that we love, and really, if you're doing that, then it, then it can turn to the desire and the motivation to take that and to, to work with other people and to help them, you know, because now you're doing well and you're feeling good. You want everybody else to feel good, right? You want everybody else to enjoy, you know, but you have to get to the point where you say, I don't, I don't you know, I don't want to do that stuff anymore. I don't enjoy that anymore. You know, I, I told you, Michelle and I were eating all this candy, and I, I finally told her, like, last week, you know what, if you, want, if, you want to, if you want to eat one of those take five candy bars, you go outside and you eat it. <laughs> and then I kept noticing she was, like, disappearing. <laughs> I was like, where are you at? Where'd you go? <laughs> Seriously, you're eating, right? You're, well, you told me to, so she was sneaking out to the shed. Like, if we could have never used dope together. Never! We can't even eat candy together. Oh, that's what happened to the washer, yeah. Uh, our washer just died, yeah. It's taken five, yeah. yeah. A permanent five. So, and, and if children then are heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provide, provided we suffer with him in order that we may be glorified with him. Verse 18, it says, For I consider the suffering of this present times are not worth comparing to the glory. So the suffering that you did out there in the streets, how do they compare to your life now? Right? What, it, what do you want to do? Right? Does it, you know, I, I don't like anything about my old life. I, I suffered a lot. It's not only, it's the physical addiction, it's the emotional, it's the, it's the anguish and the, and the knowing what you're doing and I can't stop what I'm doing and why, why can't I do the things that I know that I want to do but I do the very things that I hate. And it talks about it in the Bible. You know, I'm like, you know, I, I, you know, I didn't think the Bible had any good advice for me but then when you start reading it, it's like, Hey, that's, that's me. You know, I, why am I doing the things, the very things that I hate, but I don't do the things that I know that I should do? It talks about, it says it's no longer me, that it's the sin living within me. And the only way, the only way that sin could live within me is if I what? If I allow it. 
it, only, it can only be there as long as you allow it. You know, if you don't have the strength to get it out, then that's when you, you start telling people around you, like, hey, help me out. You know, keep me accountable. You know, I was sharing at a funeral I did recently that um, Susie's ex-husband, Jeff, um, liked to be annoying, loved the guy, though, and I, I, I told him, Jeff, if you have to, you call me every five minutes. About 11.30 that night after like the 47th call, I was like, are you freaking serious? Jeff, what on earth are you doing? Well, you said I could call you every five minutes, so I am. It went on like that for days. I'm like, but you said. I did. I don't think I've ever, I, I tell people all the time, call me if you need to me. I promise you I've never told anybody since then, call me every five minutes. I don't think he needed me every five minutes. I think he was trying to prove a point that, hey, if this is what you said, I'm like, but dude, you're like keeping yourself awake to call, yeah, I'm setting my alarm. I'm calling you every, I'm going to call you every five minutes all night long. And boy, did he. Um, so it's crazy. So verse 21, it says, uh, let me be willing, but, uh, excuse me, verse, for the creation was subject to the futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage. So over and over in Scripture talks about us being set free from bondage. But it's not, it's not magic. It's not hocus pocus. It's not, it's not the Steve Blaine street show. It's not street magic. You know, it's like if we want to be set free from that bondage, we have to participate. You know, when you get hired at a job, you know, how many people have ever gotten a job? You go in and you get hired, you go through the orientation, and you don't have to go to work. Every two weeks, they just direct deposit your check. Anybody ever, ever have a job like that? Right? Never had to show up for work. If you have, come and talk to me, because I'm gonna I want some of that too. I'll see if I can get that with, along with my, my pastoral job here. Um, but what I, what, I, what I mean by saying that is, is sobriety is a job. Having faith in Christ is a job. It requires work on our parts. We have to open our Bibles. We have to actively seek out believers. We have to pray. We have to participate in fellowship. You know, it doesn't just happen. It, it only happens because we are an active participant. And it only works because we are an active participant. You can't just come to church and say, oh, I believe in Jesus, and then, and then expect at the end of your life, well, that's it. I'm all good. It doesn't work like that. That's like false, false hope. It's false faith. It talks about having a relationship with Christ. You know, Michelle and I have been married almost 30 years. Okay, and I promise you, we didn't just get married and say, all right, we're good. Oh, we've had lots of knockdown dragouts. We've had lots of counseling. We've had, I think we were separated on our first, third, and fifth wedding anniversaries, something like that-ish, you know. 
separated for a year one time. So, but we, once we decided we wanted to be married and we wanted to stay married, we both had to agree to put in the work. There is no cruise control. And it's been work. The road's been bumpy, it's been slippery, it's been wet, it's been treacherous, it's been curvy, it's been up, and it's been down. But it's good. You know, it's good. Anything you do that you want to do and you want something out of it requires commitment on your part. So what do I mean by saying that? What I mean is, is we can't just say we're believers in Christ. We have to be, we have to commit we have to be in a relationship with Christ, and we have to participate in that relationship with Christ. You know, imagine getting married and never communicating with your spouse. You know, just don't talk, right? How do you think that relationship is going to work? Not very good. Not very good. It requires participation. It requires conversation. It requires commitment. And it, re- it requires to, to be all in. And that's what our relationship with Christ is about. It's about, it's about committing to the relationship and that's being lucky enough to find maybe a mentor or a group of friends that are believers that will commit with you and, and walk with you in faith and help you maybe navigate, what do I want to do when I grow up? You know, Do I really want to be that thing that maybe, maybe what you thought you wanted to be wasn't at all what you wanted to be? You know, because when we, when we become sober and we, we realize we're this new creation, it's like everything is new. Everything is new. Everything is like brand new. Everything, we're living sober. We're seeing things different. We're feeling things differently. And so it's about exploring who, who am I in Christ? Or how about this question? Who does, what does God want me to do? You know? And my, my, uh, on that, don't just, like, don't just say, hey, what does God want me to do? And just sit there and do nothing. You know, I always say it's easier to steer a car that's in motion, right? Sometimes we just need to start down that road and see what happens. See if it's working out. See if it's bringing me joy. See if this is really where God wants me in my walk or wants me in my career. You know, I mean, it may sound funny. My my desire was I wish I could go back to be to be a fireman. I wanted to go back and be back on the ambulance, you know. I loved doing that. I went to school for so many years to do that as a career, you know. But that's not where I was supposed to go, you know. I feel like God said, you wanted to help people so bad over there, then help them over here, you know, because ultimately the work that's being done here is far more important because as a paramedic or a firefighter, you have one job, you have you uh, firemen. You get, well, the fireman's easy. You put the you put the wet stuff on the red stuff, right? Water on the fire. As a paramedic, you get him to the hospital alive. That's it. Stabilize him. Get to the hospital. You've done your you've done your job. This is a little bit differently because we're not going. We're not just shooting for the hospital. We're shooting for eternity. A little bit longer. A little bit longer, right? I think probably the most, the average time I spent with a person was probably eight, ten minutes. But it was the worst eight, eight or ten minutes of their entire life because maybe they got their arm ripped off or maybe they got hit by a car or maybe 
their family just got burned up in a fire, or maybe they just got shot or stabbed or whatever it is. You know, you do that job long enough, you see everything. So you're with somebody for the worst eight or ten minutes of their entire life. Here, it's, it's, way more, it's way more enjoyable. A lot of you have come through the worst part of your life. Now we're on that longer, committed journey to eternity. And that's way more fun. So, yeah, it would have been great to go back and do that. It would have been fun. But really, there is so much more meaning in working with and being around people who are trying to change everything about their life. You know, change your attitude, change your altitude, you know, see yourself as Christ sees you, and figure out, God, what do you want me to do? You know, hey, give me some ideas. You know, or, you know, or, you know try, some, try something you've never tried before. You know, I went down this whole list of stuff from the Recovery Center, sent a telegram, and I mean, I, I don't even remember how I sent a telegram to. But I just, I tried to do everything on the list because I just wanted to do something different. Because I was so sick and tired of waking up, ripping people off, going to Salinas, scoring, getting high, nodding off all day long, driving home, pretending to be a husband, you know, repeat. It was like Groundhog Day, Groundhog Day for addicts. Same thing every day, same people in and out every day. No hope, no future, no happiness, no anything. It was just dreary and dreadful. But that's not the life I want to live. I, I no longer want to submit myself to that yoke of bondage or yoke of slavery. And I, my encouragement to us is to do the same thing. So figure out what you like. Figure out who you are. And I think, those are, that's, that's, for, I think that's for anybody. You know, what, what do you want to do when you grow up? You know, if you're 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, it's not too late, is it? You know? It's not. I have a friend who got married for the first time when he was like 84. 84. Never been married in his life. Got married at 84. Boy, he had fun. He did. I mean, he was taking care of his parents is why he never got married. But he's like, boy, I love being married. This is like, this is fun. You know, so... He could have easily said, ah, you know, it's too late. I already missed that boat. That ship already sailed, you know. If we would have looked at Abraham and Sarah, who were promised that their seed or their, from them would, would populate the entire, entire earth. And she's, like, they're both in their, like, 90s. And she even laughed at God. Did you laugh at me? She denied it. No, I didn't laugh at you. Yes, she did. No, I didn't. You imagine that arguing with the angel of God? I heard you laugh. No, no, I wasn't laughing. But if you think about it, it was laughable being that old and that our descendants are going to populate the entire world. They're going to be as, num as numbered as sands on the sea or stars in the sky. So don't take the attitude that it's too late. That I've, Don't ever take the attitude that I've wasted too much time. You know, if you're eight, if you're 80, it, do, it doesn't matter. Because God doesn't see you. God sees your potential, not your age. Right? God didn't look at the age. God wasn't worried about how old Abraham was. He certainly wasn't er, uh, worried about how old Sarah was, was he? Because he told him these things that sounded absurd. You know, you're going to have a baby, and it's going to populate the whole world. 
seriously? At this age? And it happened. It happened. So don't be discouraged. Oh, I'm 26. My life's over. You know, I'm never going to amount to anything, you know. No. I don't care where you're at tonight, how old you are, how young you are. You have today. And you can, you can decide to make a decision to do something totally different, you know, because it's all about, it's all about your relationship with Christ. Amen? So I think Bob snuck up here, didn't he? Where are you going? He had some barbecue over there. I think he was looking for the barbecue. Yeah. Y'all missed it. We had some barbecue up here earlier. But we ate it all right. Protein. There we go. They're going to say keto. Yeah. So, Lord, we thank you. Lord, we praise you. We thank you, Lord, that we are here tonight, that we're alive, we're sober. We have the ability to worship you. We have the ability and freedom to make choices to do things better, things differently, that, Lord, that we do have a future and a hope. So, Lord, we just thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.